Have you ever heard a strange noise in the middle of the night? Ever seen something you couldn't quite explain? What's that? Ever been visited by a loved one in a dream? What are you? Psychic mediums Katie Manning and Michelle Lyons Polito talk about it all. Welcome to the Psychic on the Scene podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of Psychic on the Scene. And uh, before I introduce uh, my co-host, I have a disclaimer, a warning to our listeners. Um, They may want to actually skip this episode um, if they are not into true crime, but especially um, of this caliber. So youngsters um, of of all ages, please. Right. So uh, warning, the following show is intended for mature adults only due to the graphic nature of today's episode, graphic description of the crimes committed, rape, murder, torture and mutilation listener discretion is advised so that Mm -hmm. being said starting (laughs) off on that um i'd like to say as always introduction to d scott i'm gonna stop stop listening now You can't. I have to pay attention. Okay. Yeah, you have to pay attention, please. And my lovely friend and co-host, Michelle Lyons Polito. Hey everyone. And, and Michelle is going to introduce tonight's guest who is going to be helping us um kind of piece together some of the information um, about a local serial killer. Yes, and back by popular demand because she was on earlier talking about some of the the ghosts from various prisons is my good friend and sister from another mister, uh, Maria Merza. She is a a retired corrections officer and she's currently, she currently works for the Department of Social Services. She's a domestic violence liaison at Unity House. So she saves, scoops, swoops in and helps people to get out of uh, abusive relationships. So and she is here to talk with us about experiences that she and other corrections officers that she knows have had with the infamous serial killer, Lemuel Smith. Thank so, you welcome. so much, Maria, for coming. Oh, you're welcome. So one of the first things I wanted to say is, and, and obviously in talking and researching this information, and we'll be talking about what we've found and, and the discussion of it, but um, I want to always be respectful and sensitive to the families mm-hmm. of the victims. And so in no way is this to, um, you know, mm-hmm. to be in any way a negative um, or cast a negative light on those, those crimes or make it more glamorous um, than it was because mm-hmm. it is truly, truly horrific, the things that uh, Lemuel Smith did and was convicted of. Um, and, and another part of this is, I I always am a huge proponent for our listeners, male and female, to listen to their gut. And there was probably so many times that these people, maybe even some of the ones that got away, that listened to their gut. And there's some um, kind of crazy stories about where you think divine kind of intervened Mm. um, or or changed the path. So just to get started with this, um, Lemuel Smith um, is considered a serial killer from the Capital Region. In case you guys don't know, he was born in Amsterdam, July 23rd, 1941. Um, And I can remember even as a child uh, locally that hearing about his crimes or the things that had happened, it was like hearing about a local boogeyman. Right. 
Yeah. And you know, that you would hear a girl got picked up, a girl was raped, a girl was attacked. And now later leading back to many of those crimes, my parents telling me, um, you know, basically like, watch out, don't be alone. Even back then, which was like the Mm seventies, we would literally walk to the store for my mother. My mother would send us with a note to get beer and cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) We'd give it to to Mr. Bogdan, who was the manager at Chaparama, and he'd get it for us. As long as you had the note, you were good. That's right. You had to have the note. Yes. So yes, back then. Oh my goodness. So Lemuel Smith um, was convicted of uh, five murders and then including, uh, it was six with the corrections officer, Donna Payette. Um, he is considered even now, he is still alive. He Shockingly. Is on a, I know, and he's 80 years old. And Maria, where did you say he's now in what Christian facility? He's in five points, which is up past Danamora area. Okay. It's up up north. It's in one of the northern jails. Okay. Um, it's a it's a maxi max facility. I believe, and I could be wrong, don't quote me, because they change things. I believe the whole facility is a um, maxi max facility. Okay. Really? And by that, you mean maximum security? Well, yeah, it means, well, when somebody can't get along in society, they go to prison, jail or prison. When you can't get along in prison, you go to a special housing unit. And some of these special housing units are what they call maxi maxes, which is all people who just can't get along anywhere in in any of the prisons. In general population, yeah. So there is no, they're so dangerous. So he spends, it says at um, 23 hours a day in isolation. Um, So because of any, and he still manages to misbehave, still manages. Yeah, and he, he keeps, he keeps trying to tie up the courts with yep. other frivolous like lawsuits and things. Yep. Good God. So, yep. So kind of going back again, he was um, raised um, in Amsterdam, very religious upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is believed that his mother um, was a very, uh, from accounts that I could gather, a very loving woman. Um, the father was uh, a, a very mm-hmm. overzealous mm-hmm. religious and may have been abusive. But one thing um, that I thought was kind of interesting, and I listened and I, I researched a lot of true crime, he had multiple head injuries. He didn't do the, mm. some of the other things that serial killers do. There was no um, animal mutilation right. or um, bedwetting, fire starting. But he had at least five concussions, like major concussed um, during his life. And it seems to be that is a trend with many serial killers in their developmental years. That if that happens, they must lose um, some ability, cognitive ability to control themselves. And impulse com- control. Simple it's kind of like that um, Hernandez, that when yeah. they- oh, yep. the football player. The football player that all of a sudden he kind of went crazy, became extremely violent. And then after he, they I, took his own life in prison, when they did his autopsy, they find he had that, whatever that disease is. Right. That, that you know, and they, they believe that, I think that there was a wrestler 
Oh uh, yes, there was. Benoit, yeah. I believe his name was, yep. and he shot himself. He shot his family and then himself, and they found out that he also had that same disease. So, not to give this guy any props because no, I don't want to. But it very well could be one of the there reasons was, why right. there's some condition, correct, yeah. that is not not proven that. So, um, there were other things that he later admits to or confesses to, which he thinks is going to help his case. In some mm-hmm. ways, it does. Um, but his first more public crime, there were crimes prior. I did find. Right. Um, but they were almost, uh, they not, not by any means minimal, but they were, he was minimally charged. So he was in and out of prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were for rape <laughs> and attack. And there were many um, times that he'd done that. In fact, it says that when he was going through adolescence, that um, he was known in his neighborhood um, for grabbing girls, stalking girls, um, uh, manually raping them. And, um, that, and, and again, like kind of got passed over in the system. So maybe he got in trouble and they just passed it along or people weren't coming forward as much. Well, as he was should. probably tried as a juvenile. Right. That, and I actually these, say that in parts of it. Yeah, yeah. And he actually, I think has only been to prison to actual prison twice maybe the one for the 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 conviction of the the the, um young lady in colony center no no that's one that's part of the case yeah um the the one is the 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 religious store the the religious store murder oh that's another part that's another part of it so the first one um he's 16 years old he later confesses to this 16 years old, January 21st, 1958, Dorothy Water Street. Um, And he robbed her and beat her um, and and originally was not found or convicted of that. Um, And so his first serious prison time is 1958. Um, And once he is, excuse me? Was that prison or was that jail? It said prison, but you're you're right. It could have been it could have been like a misquote on the information that yeah. I found. Um, it, while he was in um, the area of Amsterdam, um, he that was one of the spots where he had committed this crime. And um, when he was under pressure and things were still being investigated, it said he moved to Baltimore, Maryland, and then there. He kidnaps a 25-year-old woman um, and nearly beats her to death. And this time it's witnessed and the victim survives. Um, He sentenced that time, Maria, uh, to 20 years, but only after 10 years um, he's par- after 10 years, he's paroled. Let's let him go. May, yeah, May of 1968 and moves back to the capital region. Now, I can tell you, when I was a girl, um, my grandparents, I grew up in Schenectady, and at one point in this, it said, uh, out of pressure, he moved to Schenectady and he lived with his sister. His sister lived next door to my grandparents. And by the way, she was a doll. Her family, the whole family, they were sweethearts. Um, So I'm sure I I passed her or, or passed him 
Yeah. Um, oh, you would know him. You would know him. Well, he probably, when you said prison, so he probably went to prison. That was not in New York State. I'm thinking New York State prison is because right. he's only actually been in prison, prison twice in New York State. One, I believe, was for the conviction of the, was it the yeah. store? No, no, it was attempted rape. He never, he didn't get, I don't think he got convicted of the store. Well, one. that comes up soon. So, yeah. Uh, so, um, keeping in mind to our <laughs> listeners, like this, this time period, like the first crime committed, it was 1958. Um, this next one, May 20th, 1968, he kidnaps, sexually assaults, um, and the victim again manages to escape. Mm. Later the same day, he kidnaps and rapes 46-year-old woman who's a friend of his mother's. Jeez. And she convinced him to let her go. And he was later arrested and served um, or sentenced four to 15 years in prison. And now this is where information gets weird. Something could have happened while he was in jail. It said he spent 17 years of an 18 year sentence. So I don't know if something else was attached to that, but, or if it was only the one case that was the four to 15 and then there was additional time for the other case. Um, so I apologize to the listeners that it, I was unable to find a, a even flow of, of, those, of those occurrences, but he was freed again, October 5th, 1976. And this is all before DNA. So it's not till 1986 that DNA kind of makes the scene that they can do investigative work and take the DNA and compare it. They could compare blood and hair samples and obviously bullet samples um but there oh, and fingerprint i should say too but um they didn't have the you know the gold standard of dna well one of the reasons why he he gets out on early parole is because he was a model inmate hmm. he was okay an, he was a model inmate he um he he charmed the pants off of like the um oh god I can't the religious people in oh, jail yeah, the like chaplain the Padres, it says it actually the says that yeah. the chaplain in the one facility advocated for him and said he was a changed man and mm. tried to get him a shorter sentence yeah he spoke yeah. on his behalf yes the, and this is what he does he's a model inmate the officers say go stand over there he goes and stand he never gave the officers a hard time he was a model inmate oh, he God. and he was yeah and this is this was his persona you know and that's the same thing in greenhaven he was there and he um had the run of the chapel area oh. the run of it he was by himself in the chapel area the phone is right there and he could use it whenever he wanted you're kidding me no uh-uh because he so, was a model inmate <laughs> like, what, so you know, when did your what year would you say marie was the year your your path crossed with him um 1982 i was in fishkill correctional yep. um he had already killed donna pant in 1981 i had a friend as a matter of fact her first day in corrections was the day that Donna Pant was killed. 
She walked oh through Greenhaven. God. She walked through Greenhaven's, or no, I'm sorry. She walked into the academy the day that Donna Payant was killed. Um, yeah, that was her, that was his, her seniority date. Um, <laughs> and uh, my first cross with him was I was in Fishkill and I was on the walkway in front of the chapel area. And because he was the, that's where they were having the trial of Donna Payant in, in Fishkill's chapel. I don't know why, but that's where it was. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird, you know, considering where she was killed in the chapel the area chapel. of Greenhaven. But hey, you know. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, Ugh. so I'm standing on the walkway in front of the chapel. They, all the females, all the jury and everything went in first. And I'm standing there and I can hear them saying on the radio, what is that female doing standing there by the chapel? So now I'm not even thinking I pick up the radio because I got the radio on going, I don't see any of the females here, sir. I'm just, there's just me. <laughs> <And they're> like, <laughs> you're, you're a girl. <laughs> <laughs> you're oh, so that, it's funny, you know, it's but like, it's not funny. You know, it's like, cause I'm thinking I'm not a, I'm an officer, right? Right. So he gets out of the van and do you ever remember the, the green mile when the guy yeah. gets yeah. out of the van and the van goes like this or the, but the well, it kind of does that. He gets out of the van and the van kind of, oh, he was a big up. man, big mm. man. He was like six foot something. I'd say six foot six easily. So one accounting, I don't know if it's real. It said seven feet. It, it very well could be. He's just so tall. Massive. I just remember looking oh. at this very, very, very tall man. I don't think he was seven feet. I think might've been six, seven or something, but he's just extremely tall. And he gets out and he just immediately turns and looks right at me. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, oh God. And I'm telling you, the hairs on the back of my neck stood right I up. I just got it's chills like, when you said it. Yeah. It's like the hairs on the back. Of my, and I was not going to avert my gaze. And I stared right back at him thinking to myself, I'm going to pass out any second now. <laughs> and I just stared at him and he looked away first. Awesome. And I made sure, yeah. And I just stared at him until he looked away and um, he just like, and he turned back around really quick and I was still staring at him <laughs> and he turned and he, he had this like look of like, holy shit on his face. And he turned around and he, and he, and he gave me this creepy smile, that snaggle mm -hmm. smile is, and I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm, I just want to say, yeah, just keep stepping pal. But I didn't, I didn't say a word. You know, I, I wanted to kind of do one of these. Yeah, just keep it moving, dude. Yeah. But I, I couldn't. I was kind of frozen in place, you know, to be all honesty, because it was freaking creepy. So you felt and, evil. And, yeah. Yeah. You just felt evil. And, yeah. you know, you can um, feel evil. Yeah. Like, yes. That is it. You know, when you walk into some place, you go, "Ooh, there's evil here. Mm -hmm. That guy personified it it was you know just it's, like it's funny while i was writing up and I'll, I'll get back to um his his history um well i was thinking about this years ago my first one of my first like real jobs not babysitting or whatever <laughs> was working in mohawk really? mall if you remember mohawk mall oh yes oh yeah and we would get i worked for chess king and we would get our paychecks mm -hmm. and on like thursday or friday night and we would each take turns walking down from the store to price chopper and you would cash your check mm -hmm. like it was just like a normal thing probably everybody in the mall didn't matter if you worked at bradley's or french food or wherever i worked probably, at mount i worked at montgomery ward 
Oh, monkey wards, right, <laughs> yep. right down the other end. Yeah. So um, I was walking down and I was like, you know how the traffic when you're walking in a hallway or a mall, it's just like road traffic, like you're going down the right side yep. and they're coming at you on the left. I had just turned the corner going towards Price Chopper on my right hand side, which was a ways down in the mall. And I looked up at the main doors and this man's gate was odd. He came into the center and not almost like he was looking like five miles stare mm -hmm. and he wasn't walking on either side. Like he wasn't, he didn't, he walked right down the center. And then I, I'm staring at him and he was a, um, um, African-American male, but the thing that was about him was he had super piercing, like green, blue eyes. So I'm staring at these green, blue eyes and he never averted his gaze. He just kept staring straight at me and he got almost like shoulder to shoulder right on top of me. And then finally averted his step to the left. And I had that feeling what you were just talking about. I was overwhelmed with a chilling feeling through me mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. like, Ugh, something with this isn't right. That night, that man in the parking lot was arrested for trying to um, assault or um, rape a woman, pregnant woman, getting oh into her car out in front of Mohawk Mall. He followed her. Oh, my, my God. From the store. But I guess they had kind of had him on the radar anyways, because he, he might've done this before, but the feeling that came off me, I went back to the store and I said, Oh my God, I just had the creepiest thing happen. Mm -hmm. And I explained the whole thing, but it was not as much his actions. It was the feeling he gave off by, yeah. by that stare. And I just remember those eyes, his eyes were mesmerizing, but I, I do understand what you're talking about, Maria, yeah. kind of being in the presence of evil. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And he was, he was the presence of evil. So, so as I said, he was released October 5th, and that was 1976. Um, November 24th, the night before Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. 1976, um, he brutally murdered Robert Hederman, 48, the owner of the religious shop. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. And his secretary, Margaret Byron, and they were found in the back of the store. And this is where some of the, the things that later kind of um, help with like DNA, but in this case, right, um, at the crime scene evidence, they, they found hair nearby um, and blood, but they also found human feces um, near the scene of the crime. God. And they wound up obviously taking it into evidence and that later proved to be helpful um, in the investigations around this that. time as well with the murder of those two interesting side note local um psychic medium ann fisher mm -hmm. um worked oh, i remember her yeah i remember and her she worked on this case whether i they don't disclaim or say if the information was helpful um or it wasn't of any help at all but when you think that's pretty um kind of progressive for 1976 yeah. yeah for them to have contacted and used a psychic medium locally you know it's funny i think that they use them more back in the day than they do now because now they rely all on science they don't rely on anything else 
But mm-hmm. back when I was growing up, I do or a young person, young, you know, whippersnapper. I do remember them using a lot of yes psychics in the seventies and eighties. You know, mediums a, a ton. They don't. It just doesn't seem like they do it now. There because- was a woman who I wish I could um, remember her name, and I've met some of the family since. Um, and during that time, she was known as, um, I think kind of lovingly known as the Yates witch. She lived over in Yates mm-hmm. village in Schenectady mm-hmm. and half of the time they would arrest her for, um, doing readings and making money <laughs> on it. And the other half of the time they would contact her to work on cases. So I don't think she ever knew what was going to happen when somebody yeah. showed up at the door. <laughs> but I always thought that was like really interesting. Like she's one of the ones even though I didn't personally know her, love to sit down and have a chat with her. Uh, yeah, that have been great. You yeah. know, just to see yeah. what it was like during that time, that era, as you're yeah. talking about. Well, Noreen Rainier, who's the considered like the uh, detective psychic. Right. Um, that was all during like the I think the end of the 70s into the 80s that yeah. she gained such huge popularity. You're right. Yeah, it's just it was really not uncommon back, as I said. If you watch some of the old cop shows. You know, yeah. you always know that there was somebody, some type, they always had a psychic or somebody that was working on, you know, their cases and stuff. So, and they were usually right, those psychics. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Well, yeah. But as I said, now they don't, they don't seem to use them anymore. As I said, they just rely strictly on science. You know, it's like, or they don't. So, I, I, well, I'll tell you that I, I actually have to say, when they do contact me, they kind of are open minded skeptics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shout out to the police that I've worked with. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, and law enforcement. And they, they kind of, I don't think they, they discredit it but it's just used like a tool. And as long right. as the psychic doesn't have an ego about it, right. it just kind of goes, well, this is what I'm getting. Yes, I, I do remember there was a case where this woman that said she was a psychic and she was like, she was going for the reward and she oh. was actually in on the murder. Oh no. <laughs> oh, my. She was, and she was, and she was, um, saying you know i mean she had like details of the crime and they're looking at her going and the police are like okay either she's really good (laughs) or this woman knows something and wait a minute on a side note yeah i had actually worked on a case where a body was found and um i was sitting with the two detectives and I said, and she was stabbed this many times. And I start to go, like, I could feel it on my body, Maria. Right. Yeah. And I said, fatal blow to the back as she's exiting the vehicle and blah, blah, blah. And they looked at each other. And at the same time, they said, okay, uh, Mrs. Hilton, we have to depose you now. And I went, mm. oh, and my father was in the next room and he goes, everything okay? And I'm so, <laughs> I mean, I was sweating. I'm thinking, <laughs> Oh my God, I'm going to go to jail. <laughs> I swear to God, I just felt it. I, I didn't, yeah, I wasn't yeah. there. There was way too much that I knew, but right. the the best part was when they started to take the report, the younger detective said, now go through that again. I go, well, she says, she's telling me that mm-hmm. this happened. And finally they both stopped and they go, who's she? I go, the victim. Oh my she's God. telling me. So the guy turns around, finally gives up like hopelessly. And he goes, how am I even going to write that? How do I write that on a report? 
<laughs> I love that. So, but it was, it was really, really funny um, yeah. at the time, but they were actually wonderful to me um, once I got through the whole thing. But yeah, I was, I was scared. Well, I, <laughs> I, I was somewhat of a skeptic myself and, you know, it's like, and Michelle would tell me stuff and I'm, and I, part of me was going, uh-huh. Mm-hmm, sure you know and then she said something to me until when steve she said when, yeah. until steve passed and when steve told her stuff that only he and i had this and i'm when she says he she was getting out of the car and she goes i just want to tell you she goes i just want you to know that steve crossed over right away but he wanted me to tell you something and she goes but and it's really strange and i'm thinking <laughs> well okay that's steve but go ahead and she goes he said to tell you that he's at his ideal weight. And I don't know what that means. And I was like, I was like, oh my freaking God. That was a joke that he and I had, you know? Oh, I love yeah. that though. Yeah. It was so, so it was like, okay. Bizarre thing. You know, I mean, part <laughs> That's of me- That's always the best stuff. Part of me believed, but there was like this, this part of me was kind of like, do I believe, do I not believe? <laughs> No, well, I think that, and you know what, I think that that's the way everybody should kind of go into it. It's kind of like, a, like I said, about the law enforcement, like yeah. an open-minded skeptic. Yeah. So yeah. kind of going back here, um, <laughs> he, before he's arrested, he kills again, um, yeah. Lemuel Smith, December 23rd, 1976. Mm -hmm. And it's Joan Richburg, 24 she was raped, mutilated, and murdered in her car in the Colony Center parking lot. And I was again, at the Colony Mall that night when that happened. Oh, you so were we. Yeah, I was with Steve <laughs> that night. Oh, my yep. God. Um, and yeah. I guess, again, there was hair samples um, that was later linked to Lemuel Smith at that scene. Um, January 10th, 1977. So you can kind of see a little bit here, uh, a note to our listeners, the crimes are getting closer and they are, they seem to be um, increasing in violence. In their violence, yeah. Right. Yeah, going, um, getting, going working himself into a frenzy. Right. Um, they said a large man tried to lure a 22 year old woman from a gift shop. And when she resisted, he um, abducted or grabbed her 60-year-old grandmother and kept her hostage and threatened to kill her. Um, I guess help did arrive, and he threw the woman down, knocking her unconscious. As he was walking away, he purposely stepped on her hand, breaking it. Um, she later, in a photo lineup, identifies her attacker as Lemuel, as Lemuel Smith. Um, July 22nd, 1977 is Lee Wilson, 30, and she's found strangled and mutilated mm -hmm. in Schenectady near mm -hmm. the train tracks, which I remember that story. Mm. Yep. Um, and the mutilation, even by seasoned investigators, was the worst they had ever seen. Mm. Um, due to the witness description that he made um about who the person was that they saw near the car or the attacker um again lemuel smith was a prime suspect um i can only imagine that during this time it was kind of like a hide and seek or they'd get him and come in and then it wasn't um it wasn't viable enough to hold him or it was still like in process or he was released on bail again i don't have the details for that part um August 19th, 
1977, 18-year-old Marianne Maggio. Mm-hmm. Um, she worked near Lemuel Smith. He kidnaps her and rapes her. He then forced her to drive towards Albany afterwards. Now, this is where I kind of miss things. I didn't realize until I did other research. He kidnapped her, I believe, in Schenectady. Oh, office. He kidnapped her by gunpoint at an office in Schenectady, forced her to drive to an abandoned home in Saratoga. Yep. And that's where he he brutalizes her. And he forces her to drive them back to Albany, where detectives later said more than likely he was going to murder her and um, and and hide the body. But here's an interesting night. Now, remember, it's 1976. There's no Amber Alert. And I know the story about this, but go ahead. So there's no Amber Alert. (laughs) Her parents being concerned parents of their 18 year old daughter know Mm -hmm. that she usually comes right home from work. So they contact the police and the police put it out on a band radio, a CB radio, and they kept playing it repeatedly. And there was a couple that was over in the Niskayuna colony and he felt they felt cause called to go and look for the car because they had a description of the car and I believe it was a yellow Vega. And he just gets into his car. He literally goes down a block and takes a turn, I believe on Central Avenue. And he spots the car. Holy shit. Calls the police. I mean, you talk about divine intervention or yep. something psychically coming over you. I got chills. You and your yep. wife are sitting in the house and you hear this um, CB radio alert and you go, no, nope, I got to do something about it. And you happen to be there at that juncture at that very time. So There's as the police power. were called out about it, it winds up being that, um, they also see the the car they pull them over and the detective I saw part of the interview with the detective um the officer that had pulled them over and he said I give her a lot of credit because he had had a gun and was had been using a gun and they took her out of the car and Lemuel Smith kept trying to say no that's my girlfriend we're just having a quarrel and she's Mm -hmm. just being dramatic and he goes, she's just hung up because, you know, back then it was a, a yeah. two races in the car. He goes, she's just right. hung up on the race thing. And as she's walking away, she said, please be careful. He has a gun. Mm-hmm. And they were taking her to talk to her separately, like in the, in the squad car. But um, yeah, so thank God for this person's psychic impression mm-hmm. of going, nope, I got to do something about it. And the fact that they used CB radio at the time. <laughs> insane to get the word i mean that's crazy to me there's no accident there i worked with the brother of the cop that pulled them over in in mount mcgregor he told Mm. me this story he told me the story about that his brother was the one of the police officers that pulled lemuel smith over and arrested gerber is that his name no um what that must be the I, other all office. i could think i just remember the guy's nickname is jocko and i'm tr- <laughs> i was trying to remember his name and i'm thinking what the heck is that guy's name actually- <laughs> we, were, we were really good friends and i called him jocko because that was his nickname at mount mcgregor and his brother was one of the police officers that pulled lemuel smith over and arrested him i want to say it was colony but don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure it was a colony police officer. I think you're, no, no, no. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that he was yep. spotted for coming 
back and forth like it was either like coming in and out from NISC unit to the yeah. colony line yeah but I I believe you're right it was the colony police yeah I read and I wish I could remember Jocko's name as I want to say Donnie you're gonna remember I want to say Joffman but that's not it Joffman was a guy I worked with I I worked with in um green correctional so it wasn't Joffman but it was something like that but, but it, 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 was, it was an interesting to even watch the guy interviewed on one of the things on captured on YouTube. So mm -hmm. from there, because now he's left bite marks, which um, at yeah. the time forensically, they didn't, they didn't track something like that. Maybe they didn't have that many cases of something like right. that. But um, the New York state police Lieutenant Don Pinto, he looked at the photos of, Marilee Wilson and noticed that she had a bite mark on her nose. And in fact, if I remember that correctly, he almost bit her nose off. Yeah. Um, so they had her body exhumed and they did dental impressions mm -hmm. of Lemuel Smith and um, worked to match it on some of these cases where there was bite marks all over the victim's bodies. Yeah. Um, and he was known for viciously biting people right. throughout this. <sighs> yeah. And not always, I, not always when they were alive either. No, they actually yeah. said um, he didn't rape postmortem, but he did um, mutilate or bite postmortem. Yeah. So it doesn't even make any sense. But I mean, you're trying to make sense of something that's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. on October 1977, um, Smith was transported to Bleecker Stadium in Albany. Mm, and they put this. up, they erected five screens at the one end of the stadium. And Smith, with four other random men, were placed behind the screens. And the officers used the feces, the stained clothes, left at the crime scene of the murder of the religious um, mm -hmm. store owner and the, the secretary. secretary. Mm -hmm. And they, um, the dogs, the police dogs, sniffed it and went immediately to the screen with um, Lemuel Smith behind it. Um, the detectives arranged this three times and all three times the dogs identified mm -hmm. Lemuel Smith. So whether you have feelings about, you know, dogs like that, that do cadaver work, um, I think it's pretty accurate and they're unbiased. Yeah. Right. Well, hard. dogs have got us, us, their nose is so sensitive. You know, I mean, I have two pugs that I swear to God, you know, can <laughs> smell something, you know, can smell right. something in the kitchen. You know, it's like, come on. Like my my one pug, she's 17. But boy, she can smell food like it's <laughs> nothing. She can't hear, but she can still smell. You know, <laughs> she's got a smushed face. So, <laughs> so to, to go forward a little bit here, March 5th, 1978, and keep in mind to our listeners, there was, I, I have a strong belief, and I actually had worked with somebody in loss prevention years ago when I was in retail, and he said when I would discover there was a crime of theft um, mm -hmm. of an employee, and he would say, do you know by nature, people only confess, or they will confess to a third of what they've actually done? So mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if it's cheating, lying, stealing, or murder, um, they'll, they'll confess to a third of it because it somehow helps their soul or their conscience, their guilt. Yeah. They can pour off a third of their guilt and be able to yeah. love themselves. 
well, like, kind of like Sorry. a different part of it, but not all of it. Don't worry about it. So <laughs> with the bite mark daddy. evidence and it matched um, hit to Lemuel Smith on more than one case, he then confessed to five murders um, in an attempt basically to convince prosecutors of his insanity. Right. And, you know, going back to what I just said, if we confess of a third of it, we're talking about when he was an adolescent, he started this. So how many other crimes, violent crimes, had he been working up to that never got reported? Yeah. Well, at least, at least 15. <laughs> right. At I mean, least, if you're, you're saying right. a third, you know? Right. At least. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. And how many of those are probably still unsolved? Right. Um, right. His confession by the way, I included the 20-year-old case of Dorothy Water Street. Um, and the details, I guess, for um, investigators were kept secret from the public um, so that they could, right, continue, yeah. they could continue to investigate it. And he then started to try and mount the insanity defense. Now, part of this, anybody that does these things, you got to think, well, they're going to be a little crazy. Right. Um, but, and in going back, he had obviously um some issues with his head injuries and he also around that time um when he's a child and he's having these head injuries i guess he woke up from one of them and he um wanted to bring back his deceased brother and mm -hmm. then he started claiming that the deceased brother john jr who died before Lemion was born of encephalitis mm -hmm. was controlling him. So um, I guess one of his um, personalities is um, I guess sometimes he would say he was John Jr. But um, he would say he was Lemo and Lemo, it sounds like committed a lot of the, the crimes. Uh -huh. um, so he was positioning himself, whether it was fact or not, as being yeah. a paranoid schizophrenic. Um, and then yeah. as I said that like the father actually to the public the mother was normal stay-at-home mom and the father was uh, it sounded almost like he was not just religious but may have had like a position in the church um, yeah, and, worked, a, and worked for GE yeah what, he, was a preacher, he was a preacher at the church from what I understand right. yeah, and I, I was, don't know what the church was it didn't say but it somewhat said that, was a zealot he was an overzealous you know, probably was abusive. He probably was an abusive man. You know, it's like, you know, I, I hate to, you know, say that because I don't really know much about his family, but there probably was abuse there. Right. You know, and that's kind of the way they they position it. Um, the separate cases that were tried, and this kind of goes back, Maria, to what you were talking about in the beginning, for rape. And he, he, this is how it was positioned in the, in the thing I was reading for the rape. I think the one where he took the girl to Saratoga and mm -hmm. then they found her or she was driving back. He was um, given 10 to 20 years in Saratoga. He then did um, on the kidnapping 25 years um, sentenced to life in Schenectady. Mm -hmm. And then for the double murder, it was 50 to life in Albany. Now, I, I, if any of our listeners are out there and they have other details, just 
so you understand my frame of reference was researched um, through the internet. So right, I'm they had to try him in three different jurisdictions. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's and like um, and they and they gave and normally they do a consecutive or concurrent, meaning you right do it back all to together. But now they did they did his was consecutive. It's like you got to do ten years, then you got to do twenty, and then you got to do the fifty. You know, that's yep. because he was such. A, a violent offender. Yeah, so, such a violent offender. While he was serving, he uh, he confesses to other crimes, other cases, and I guess they tried to get it. The prosecutor tried to get them brought up as well, and they were dismissed. Um, be, and I guess I, I I understand because there was other cases against him that they felt almost like taking him back to trial for the other cases um, was just extra which was a moot point because he was not ever going to get out they figured that it was going to be a burden on the taxpayer to try him right you know i mean if great just, way to put it though maria yeah and i mean if he just confessed and said i'll take the deal you know, like, right you know i mean really what are you going to do kill him twice you know it's like you know if he got the death penalty let's just say he got the death penalty for the murders of the um the two right, people the couple. in yeah. the couple. So let's say he and now he he confesses to three more murders. Well, what are they going to do? They can't give him a double death penalty. Let's kill right. you first, bring it back, and we're going to kill you again. It's just unfortunately they just felt it was just a moot point. Yeah, I guess you know my whole thing with that is like with the families, it, it might right. Feel agree. like they have closure. Right. I mean, I think they should have let him confess, close the case. Yes. Called it a day, like the lady in in the colony center and mm -hmm. and some of the other ones. Confess, have them sign the paper. I did it. Blah blah blah. Here's the details. Close the case. Call it a day because these right. unfortunately are, are still open cases. You know, so this part of it in 1981, Smith um, was sent to Greenhaven Correctional yeah. Facility, which you just spoke about, and. Um, there was a corrections officer, Donna Payant, was on duty, and this is, this is again, I'm reading this, and it says uh, she received a phone call, and the she tells the co-worker um, she's got to go take care of it, and soon after, she's nowhere to be found, Yep. and they begin a massive search of the facility, and she's not found until the next morning. Um, and she's found in the dumpster and her body was um, mutilated and um, there were bite marks all over her. And again, these bite marks were immediately matched to Lemuel Smith. Well, actually, they found her, actually found her in the, the dump near the facility. Yes, and, that was the other thing. Okay, and yes. they thought that, and they thought the bite marks were rats until Michael Bowden, when they sent the, the body, they sent it to Albany for the autopsy because of the fact that she was a correction officer. And Michael Bowden was the medical examiner in Albany yeah. at the time at Albany Medical Center. And he recognized the bite marks immediately, mm -hmm. called the superintendent and said, Scully, you got an inmate up there by the name of Lemuel Smith? And the guy goes, well, yes, we do. And he goes, that's your killer. Wow. And they're like, 
what? And then, then he started to talk to them and that's when the investigation came out. The worst part about this whole thing for me yeah. was listening to the BS, I really want to say the other word. You can. You know, <laughs> well, bullshit. Well, the effing, the effing bullshit that they said about Donna. Oh, yes, no. and yes. I was actually going to, I just was going to say that too. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Her. And all it was. Well, somebody was, like you too that works in, in with victims. Yeah. It doesn't it, matter what, it, it wouldn't have mattered. It do, shouldn't right. matter what a person's lifestyle a is. Right. Nobody asked to get murdered. Right. Or raped and murdered or murdered raped and, and murdered. Right. They Nobody's actually asking think, for that. They actually think he killed her first and raped her afterwards is what they okay. think with her. Um, but the thing that really kills me is she got the call. Sergeant. I mean, she was a brand new officer. The thing about during that time, Fishkill, Greenhaven, Sing Sing, they're all what they call transient jails, meaning that people come there be, when they come out of the correction, correction academy, they're dumped in some of these big jails, and then you put your name on a transfer list to get back home. She was from up north. She wanted to go back home. Oh. So this was, it was a crapshoot that she got, she was either going to get Bedford, Greenhaven, Sing Sing, or Fishkill. You know, that was one of the, that was, those were the jails that everybody got sent to. Mm -hmm. And she ended up in Greenhaven. So she hadn't been there for more than two weeks. So oh all this God. crap that they said that she did, there's That's no right. freaking way. She'd only been there for two weeks. So That's she right. had no idea. And also, there was also transient sergeants. So you might get like sergeants make, making sergeants are going to these jails. And they still do, you know. Mm -hmm. um, when I was offered sergeant, a few times it was like Greenhaven, you know, Greenhaven. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go there. You know, it's like, I don't want to do that. So, and that was the thing is like, so she was new and it was a big, huge facility. A lot of officers, a lot of, a lot of inmates, a lot of personnel. Mm -hmm. So when a sergeant calls up and said, this is Sergeant Smith, I need you to report to the chapel immediately. You're brand new on the job. Sergeant's right. calling you. You're like, I got to go click. And she has to go. You know, she's being ordered to go to the chapel area. And Lemuel Smith had a copy of the charts. Inmates are not supposed to have copies of the charts, but he was in the chapel area. The chapel, the chaplain had that there sitting on the desk, leave him there. You can do, oh yeah, work on my whatever. He was doing the clerking for the chapel, the chaplain. The charts, and, like the personal yeah, charts? Gonna, no, he, well, the, the charts, a chart is... um is like a is like a paper that tells where everybody is. Oh, okay. Right? Oh, and, he's okay, been, okay. and he had been watching her and he knew who she was. Oh. So, and he knew it's like, oh, she's at this gate. I can call her. And, you know, and they, and, oh and the, the directory was right there. So he can make a phone call and figure out who's who and picked it up and said, officer pant, I need you, you know, and he might've called a few places to see, uh, see if I can get a female to answer the phone. Oh my god! You know, and then he finally wow, that and then that's chilling. That right. really is. And then it was happened to be Officer Payant. Officer Payant, I need you to report to the chapel area immediately. Boom! And so she does because she comes from a correction, uh, correction family background. Yeah, I so did her see whole that too. family is in corrections. So, you don't so she grew up 
when a sergeant or a lieutenant or a supervisor gave you an order, you follow it. So she grew up in that. So that's what she did. She left the gate area, wherever she was, went to the chapel area where she was attacked and killed. Now he's got to get rid of the body. So now he grabs these other two inmates and he says, hey, you better help me get rid of the body. And these inmates are like, oh, I'm not going down for this. There was an officer whose name I will not mention was in debt to some of the inmates for gambling. It happens, you know. Anyway, these office, these inmates grab that officer and basically help make him help dispose of her body. Otherwise, they couldn't have done it because they needed keys to go from different places. Right. And to go out that door. And they needed an officer to do it. Holy shit. So, yeah. So they basically. Was he ever convicted? Was the officer ever convicted of that? No, he never was. Because it's not spoken of, but I remember seeing that on uh, some information years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. Because they said, oh, she came across, you know, officers doing drug deals. She came across this. She came across. They said that she, I mean, they they tried so many things, conspiracy theories or conspiracy conspiracy theories. Yeah. 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 And um, they said that um, they tried to paint her as being promiscuous. Yeah, um, as a drug dealer, as a yep. snitch on, the, yep. on other police officers uh, or corrections yep. officers, and even tied to the mob. Oh, yeah. good God. She, well, I got to tell you, if anything, the mob wouldn't do anything like that. Okay. The mob would have protected her. And if, it, because the mob was, they, the mafia was huge in Greenhaven and they had their own block. And that was the best block to work was the ones that the Italians. <laughs> and they were like, no, don't even get us involved in this. This girl had nothing to do with us. And they were the ones that said, you better be looking at one of your own yeah, because they knew they knew. And they, they were the ones that steered. One of the, one of the things, this was years ago that I had heard this said that she had somehow gotten the keys and that no. and and even one of the detectives said there or whoever was looking they said there was no yeah. possible way that could have happened that no. she could yeah. have had them and that lemmy smith then removed the keys from her to dispose no. of the body no. and they said that that he could not have done that alone no. no he couldn't he could not have done it alone he had to he had tragic because even they had to have an escort to go out to where the they had to where they had to go. You had to have an officer escort. Yeah. Otherwise, again, it's, it's otherwise just the guys in the towers would have shot him. You know, shot them because they were where they shouldn't have been. So, so they said that this was the first time in U.S. history a female correction officer was murdered in a prison, um, and that's considered automatic death. Yeah. Now. Uh, he's not Mario dead. Como was oh no actually Mario Como wasn't in in yet who was it was it Carrie yeah I it think was Carrie it was yeah. Carrie that was in and he said it was an automatic death sentence for um Killing because it was a correction officer and then in 82 when Mario Como got in Mario Como commuted. got rid yeah he got rid of the death sentence for everything but correction officers 
He got rid of the death sentence for the police, but except for correction officers. And then while before he got out, before he, like, a, I think it was his second or third term, he commuted his sentence. Yeah, he commuted his sentence. So, so Lemuel Smith is now, he was on death row, um, but he is now serving a life sentence, as we yeah. said in the beginning, and he's 80 years old. Um, he still tries all the time to tie up the courts um, with appeals, um, and he is still at five points correctional. Yeah. He, he is still considered a death row inmate, even though his sentence has been commuted. There's five inmates that are still considered death row oh, inmates, okay. even though that their sentence has been commuted and they're never going to die. And even though New York technically has the death penalty, we are right. a death penalty state. Huh. So yeah, we are. We are just, general just law and order when they're saying yeah. we'll take the death penalty off the, off the, off the table. And there was a, and I, and I, I know I'm getting off topic here, but if you ever watched CSI New York, in CSI Miami, they had a crossover mm-hmm. where, where um, Horatio Kane came up and he was talking to whoever, Max, from the New York Crime Lab. And he goes, well, we have the death penalty. And, and he says, yeah, he says, but unlike, um, hang on, sorry. Sorry about that. Unlike, okay. unlike Florida, he goes, yes, he says, but unlike Florida, he is, we actually use it, you know? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, to me, to, yeah, so go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, it just, to me, you know, it, it's one of those cases or uh, serial killers that's right here um, in our own backyard, yeah. in many of our own backyards, because he was all over the Capitol region, right. yeah, um, that people um, maybe have forgotten about or didn't know about kind of like when we covered Garrow and, um, it it was the same kind of thing. It was fascinating to me in the sense that I live right here and I, I didn't realize, um, how extensive it was. Oh my gosh. How how broad, how brutal they, both of those crimes, um, were all of them that, that one, at one point that man and wife having the psychic ability or divine intervention, yes. whatever you want to call it, to go, I'm going to go out. I'm going to try and save this girl, find this right. girl. Right, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, what are the chances? What are the be, chances? You know, that had to be divine intervention because sure. that overwhelming need. I hear people talk about that all the time where yeah. suddenly it's, it's they must do it and there's nothing that's going to stop them. It's right. there's a higher power, you know, with, with a hand in that. But hey, Maria, you had said you were going to share a story about your husband, Steve, who is passed away he um was also a corrections officer and had a personal experience with yeah he he worked in Greenhaven you know um he got to he was actually got in the department after I did and there was the trial was still going on and he was assigned to Greenhaven and then Lemuel Smith was convicted and they couldn't keep him in Greenhaven they had to keep him in Greenhaven while the trial was going on Mm -hmm. well he had assigned to him a lieutenant, sergeant, you know, double coverage, the whole nine yards. So now they had to move him from Greenhaven to his, to the next facility, which was Great Meadow. And they snagged my husband because they said, hey, you know, Mirza, you're from up north, right? And he said, yeah. Do you know where Great Meadow is? He goes, yeah. He goes, or do you know where Comstock is? And he said, yeah. 
He says, yeah, he goes, I know where it is. He goes, you know, go up the highway, get off at exit 20, blah, blah, blah. And he, they said, great, you're driving. He said, what? <laughs> so they had to, Lemuel Smith, they put Lemuel Smith in the van. They had um, two officers in the van. They had a chase vehicle. They had a sergeant. Let's see, they had a sergeant. I, I believe they might've had a lieutenant also in the chase vehicle. Then they had, um, I guess, and they were escorted by the state troopers. Mm -hmm. So every time they got to a certain spot, another set of state troopers took over, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and then all the way up to, all the way up to, um, to Great Meadow. And then he was, he wasn't, yeah, he drove Lemuel Smith and he's trying to talk there and they're all ignoring him. And they, and back then they had the vans where you could put the music in the back. So they cranked the music so that the speakers were in the back. So they couldn't hear him oh, no. <laughs> the whole ride, in the whole ride, you know, and it was on like country or something. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> that is funny. So, yeah. So yeah, well, he said, Maria, Again, thank you so much for sharing tonight with us and our You're listeners welcome. about this. And we'll definitely have you back for more. And um, and thank you to your husband. And, yeah, yeah, thank you, Steve. You know. Thanks, honey. Yeah. I know. Um, one more thing about Lemuel is that yeah. um, he gets fan mail. And I don't oh. understand this. Oh, my God. So my many mind. of them. Uh, Make better choices, people. Right. Make better choices. He was actually engaged. I don't know oh. if he got married, he but he was married. actually Joseph. engaged to somebody. It's like, what really? is wrong with people? Yeah. And the thing <laughs> about on. it is, is people think that they're going to get money and they're not because of the, um, and I believe it's the son of Sam law that mm -hmm. any oh, yeah. money, because of what happened with him, right? any money that's profit. made goes to the victims. Right. You can't like, profit from it. You can't profit from it. God. So and, and I agree with you. I don't understand that. I, um, I don't know how hard up you have to be that you um, pursue and um, fan mail or, you know, mm -hmm. anything like that with a, with a serial killer, a convicted serial killer. I know. Thing. It is I know. So John Wayne Gacy was another one that used to get yep. proposals. <laughs> yes. All the time. And yep. visits. Yep. On the outside, yeah. So yeah, again, <laughs> thank you so much, Maria. Um, You're very for welcome. Your service you, Maria. to you and your husband for your service. And thank you for sharing with us uh, again tonight. And as always, thank you, D. Scott, for keeping it tight. Thanks for, for having us. me. <laughs> Good. <laughs> thank you, Michelle, as always. Oh. And uh, just a, a note out to, the, to our fans and um, the families of the victims from tonight's podcast. Um, uh, our thoughts and prayers go to all of you and um, yes. never to minimize to always to highlight that to Leo Payant. I still think you're sexy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. He was, awesome. he was my, he was my sergeant and my lieutenant when I got to green. Great guy. Is that her dad? Yeah. Yeah. No, that was her husband. Her husband. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Great man. Great, great man. Yeah. Oh, and her kids awesome. are now at corrections too. So. Oh, oh wow. Well, my yeah. thoughts and prayers for that family and, and many of the others that this and other um, horrific crimes touch your lives. And we're thinking of you and we send you our, our prayers. So thank you, as always, everybody, for listening to us and making your suggestions and sharing and subscribing and liking us. 
and we'll just keep doing what we're doing. So thank you all again. Have Thanks a wonderful for having night. me. Thank yep. you so much, Maria. You're amazing. Yep. on fire Don't touch me I'm a real live wire